right, good morning everybody. Glad to have you with me today and I want to give a big shout out to all of you that may be here for the very first time this morning. Welcome to the Digital Cathedral. We've been doing this now for several years since I left the building in 2018 and it's been a lot of fun and I've gotten to meet a lot of wonderful people through the Digital Cathedral and through the Don Keithley ministry page. If you're not part of the Don Keithley ministry page and you're on social media, you're on Facebook, if you would just request to join that page, that will open it up for you to see the Wednesday night secret place, which is a private page. And it's only for those people that are part of that group. We have about 6,400 people that are part of the Don Keithley ministry page, and we'd love to have you with us. It's a place that's safe. You can post, you can comment, you can ask questions, and it's filled with grace people that are on the same journey and walking the same path that you are. Make sure you subscribe to this YouTube channel. Right over there, there's a little button you can hit. Just subscribe, make sure you like, and at the end of the teaching, if you'd be so kind as to leave a comment. People read the comments, not while the, the teaching is actually going on, because once the teaching is done, those comments disappear. The comments that remain are those comments that you can make when the when the teaching is finished. So if you'd like to leave a comment, it helps other people, encourages other people to watch and to listen to what we're doing here at the Digital Cathedral. All right, let me this morning. Two weeks ago, I finished a little series. It was only a two-part series called You Ain't Double-Minded. And in that series, we begin to look at some of the aspects, the importance of the mind for those of us that are on this track of manifesting as sons of daughters of God here on the planet while we're living. Now, there are some things that I didn't get to in that two-part series that I wanted to get to. Last Sunday, we did another teaching. I was going to move on, but I just felt checked inside that I needed to go back and revisit a little bit that that series and add to it. I'm not naming this You Ain't Double-Minded Part 3. I'm giving this a different title. But I want to hook up to some of the things I talked about in that two-part series. And then as we go through this, I'm going to give you a pop quiz. I'm going to ask you some questions and ask you to rate your experience and where you feel you are in the journey. Remember pop quizzes from school? When the teacher would assign algebra problems on page 14 or the history teacher would say, I want you to read pages 74 to 91. And then you go in the next day to class and the teacher says, okay, everybody take out a piece of paper and a pen. I'm going to give you a pop quiz. And so if you had read the material, done the problems, it wasn't any difficulty. The questions were usually good. But if you hadn't read, and sometimes I did not read the assignment, you had to fake your way through. You had to come up with some answers and most likely you failed, failed the pop quiz. But the pop quiz was called pop quiz because it just popped on you with no uh, warning ahead of time. So I'm going to give you a little pop quiz this morning in about four or five minutes. But let me just kind of lay some foundation on this teaching that I want to do on the mind this morning because I want to explore the mind of Christ and, and let you give yourself a measure on where you're at in the journey of possessing the mind of Christ. The Bible has so much to say about our minds um, and the role that it plays in our everyday life. I think the mind is probably... I won't say the chief instrument. It's one of the chief instruments that help us to determine the direction that we're going in life. Paul said things like, be renewed in the spirit of your mind. 
He said, uh, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed out of this world through the renewing of your mind. To be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. We're told to set our mind on things above, not on things on the earth. In other words, set your consciousness, set your spirit on a, on a dimension that is above the natural. And finally, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 16, we are, we are given tremendous, a tremendous insight by saying, you have the mind of Christ. You have the mind of Christ. So can you just accept that this morning? You say, well, I don't think that I think like Christ. Well, you're a work in progress. You're on a journey, but you are developing and becoming aware of the mind that you do possess. He didn't say, try to get the mind of Christ, earn to get the mind of Christ, obey the Father to get the mind of Christ. He just made the blanket statement, you have the mind of Christ. Therefore, we need to be renewed in the spirit of our mind. We need to... Um, not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing. When you renew something, you take it back to the new condition. The new condition of the mind is the mind of Christ. It's the way the Father designed you to think, wired you, hooked you up, and gave you the ability to think with the mind of Christ. When I ended the second, the second session on You Ain't Double-Minded, I gave you some, some boots on the ground, practical ways that you can act as a manifested son of God. And I, I picked up on that from Luke chapter 4 and verse 18 and 19. So let me just look at this again. Then we're going to get into some, some things about the mind of Christ, how it ties in to the action of a manifesting son or daughter. But here's, here's how uh, the mind of Christ acts. All right, this, this mind of Christ will impel you, empower you, open a door, uh, renew you, to do what Jesus did here in Acts, uh, Luke chapter 4, verse 18 and 19. Watch what he says. Jesus said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Can I tell you the Spirit of the Lord is on you? You're reflecting the glory of the Father every day that you live in a stronger degree, in a bigger way. Now here's why the Spirit of the Lord is upon Jesus. This is why the Spirit of the Lord is on you. And I want you, I want you to understand that your mind is maturing you to do what Jesus did. That's this. This is what the mind will motivate us to do. Right? Not your not not your yourself. Not your own strength. Not your own ability to think. This is what the mind of Christ will automatically open a door, uh, present circumstances, situations where you can preach the gospel to the poor with words if necessary. Now that's that's Keithley adding to that. He just says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, set at liberty those that are oppressed, and to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And let me just say it again. Use words if you have to. Everything that Jesus talked about there, I think, comes from a demonstration of our life. And your, your mind needs to be renewed to a, a place so when situations arise, you, you're fully aware that the life of God, the anointing that resides within you is flowing from you and you're setting captives free. You're mending broken hearts. You're giving the poor the, the gospel, right? All the things that Jesus talked about there, this is what the mind of Christ possesses. Jesus had the mind of divinity, the mind of Christ. You have the same mind. My thesis this morning is very simple. 
If you go to if you go to a preacher factory, they teach you in homiletics class how to put a, a teaching together, message, sermon, whatever you would like to call it. And they and the, the professor will always tell you in any good homiletics class that you start with a thesis. A thesis is kind of like a one sentence overview of what you want to accomplish in the teaching. And then you go and you begin to build and they teach you how to build and all the kind of stuff that goes on in constructing a, a teaching. But my thesis this morning, if I were to put this down into one sentence, it would be this. If you're going to act like a manifested son of God, which we just read in Luke chapter 4, verse 18 and 19, that's how a son of God manifests. This is what he demonstrates. Just like Jesus demonstrated, you demonstrate it too. Thesis is this, if you're going to act like a manifested son of God, then you are going to have to think like a son. Jesus demonstrated both. Jesus demonstrated how to act and Jesus demonstrated for us how we are to think. Here's, here's the deal. If we can get the thinking and the doing in synchronization, the fruit will be manifestation. If we can get the thinking and the acting to work together, to join together in union, what we're talking about here in Luke chapter 4, verse 18 and 19, it's going to be a natural process of your everyday life. The mind of Christ, the creative force of the universe, the word that became flesh, is the mind that you carry. You also, you also are a flesh suit that contains spirit. The basic essence of your being is spirit. It's not flesh. It's, it's spirit. And so that, that mind, that mind of Christ, sets up priorities. It sets up boundaries. It refuses to be moved by data from the sense realm. It moves by um, um, the motivation. It moves by the prompting of the Father. It moves by the spirit that is within. So here's where we're going to go this morning. Are you ready? If you're going to act as a manifested son of God, which we pulled out from Luke chapter 4, verse 18 and 19. This is what we do. This is, this is who we be right there. That's, that's us in action. Jesus said, this day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. And then he went out and did it. He did basically three things. He went about preaching, teaching, and healing. Preaching the gospel of the kingdom. He went about teaching and healing. All right. All three of, uh, everything in Luke 4, 18, 19 fits into one of those three things, preaching, teaching, and healing. I want to give you five ways this morning, five ways that the mind of Christ teams up, teams up with the action of Luke chapter 4, verse 18 and 19 to fully manifest you as a son exactly like it did Jesus. So what I want you to do this morning I'm going to I'm going to give you five ways. I'm going to put them in a I'm going to give you the points and I'll put it in a question form. And I want you to rate yourself 1 to 10. 10 being perfectly this is who you are. This is what you do. You see yourself this way. And 1 would be I'm just entering into this. I'm not fully sure how to how to function in this. I'm not very comfortable with it. I don't think this is really me. All right. Wherever you're at on a scale between 1 and 10, I'm going to give you five ways this morning that the mind of Christ will help us, will open the door for us, will motivate us to act on the, on the Luke 4, 18, 19 scripture, to fully manifest. If you're, good, if you're gonna act like a son of God, you need to think like a son of God. Jesus did both. The prototype son, the firstborn among many brothers, not only acted as a son of God, 
He knew how to think as the Son of God. His thoughts were always toward the Father. When he said, I do nothing but what I see the Father do, I only, I only say what I hear the Father saying. What he's saying is, I have a mind that's in tune. Jesus said in John chapter 10, my sheep hear my voice. Right? My sheep follow me in, they follow me out. A stranger they do not follow. Why don't they follow a stranger? Because their mind is in tune. The mind of Christ is in tune with the Spirit of the Father, the Spirit of the Son, is in tune with the Holy Spirit, and it impels you, it moves you, it motivates you to do what the mind opens up for you to do, whether it's preach the gospel to the poor, heal the brokenhearted, set at liberty the captives. That's the work of the Son. Now, in order to do that, we got to think like a son. So here's number one. I want you to rate yourself one to ten. Now, here it is. The mind of Christ responds and yields to the initial promptings of the Father. The mind of Christ yields and responds to the initial, and, and the operative word here is the initial, the initial promptings of the Father. So let me ask you, between one and 10, how quick are you to respond to the Father when he speaks? How quick do you do that? Do you respond immediately without debate, without argument, without holding back? When the Father says speak, you speak. When he says go, you go. When he says don't go, you don't go. When he says give, you give. When he says help, you re-help. You respond without debate. You respond without giving it thought. It just becomes your second, it just becomes your second nature. And this is something you develop. This is part of the development of a son, of a daughter in the kingdom of God, is that you, you have the ability to respond to the initial promptings of the Father without, without hesitation. The kingdom response, that kind of kingdom response requires two things. And I'm going, to, I'm going to help you develop that one. I can't spend too long on any of these points because I want to get through five of them this morning. All right. If, you, if you're going to respond to the initial promptings of, of the Father when he says go, you go. When he says give, you give. Don't go, you don't go. You, you get the drift of what I'm saying here. It's going to require you to develop two things. First of all, it's a sensitivity to the voice of the Father. You don't develop sensitivity to the voice of the Father unless you spend time with the Father, unless you walk with Him in the cool of the evening, unless you spend time and you shut down all the distractions, you shut down the outside noise, and it's just you and Him spending time in fellowship together. That's how you develop sensitivity. You learn His voice. You learn the sensitivity of responding to His voice when you spend time together. I know the voice of my wife. I spend time with my wife. And sometimes I, I know what she would like me to do even before she tells me to do it. Why? Because we've spent years and years and years together and I know her and she knows me. In fact, there are times I can, I can be watching a ball game and I'll think, boy, I sure would like some popcorn. I wish she'd make some popcorn and I just kind of send her that vibration. You know what? More often than not, she pops me up some popcorn. How does that, how does that transpire? She responds <laughs> to my prompting. She doesn't argue, doesn't debate. She, lo she loves to do that, and I love for her to do it as well. All right? So sensitivity. We have to develop sensitivity. And the other part of this, if we're going to respond to the initial promptings of the Father, we have to learn obedience. We learn to obey. That agreement, that obedience comes from the heart because you heard him speak. You, you, you develop obedience over a period of time. When you have that sensitivity and he prompts you, you obey it. You immediately obey it. And I found this in my life. 
the more time I spend alone with him, and the more I practice obeying what he says to me to do, the louder his voice becomes. When I first begin to practice obeying the initial promptings of the Father, I debated, I would get, try to get logical, I'd try to figure it out. That's not what he's asking you to do. Jesus was highly developed in the sensitivity and the obedience that was required for him, the Jesus the man, to live out of the mind of Christ, the divinity of Jesus, all right? And the same is with you. It's going to take some sensitivity and obedience for, for the partaker of the divine nature that you are to learn to respond to that without argument, without debate, but just you just do it. You find yourself doing it. Jesus was developed in it. I'm going to read just a familiar story from John chapter 11, and I want to demonstrate how, how Jesus worked in this. John chapter 11. Let me pick it up in verse 1. All right? Familiar story, but I like familiar stories because you, can, you get beyond the story and you can see what, really what's going on here. John chapter 11, verse 1. Now a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary, and her sister Martha. And I'll tell you right up front, Lazarus, Martha, and Mary were very good supporters of Jesus. They, they loved Jesus. They followed Jesus around. They listened to the teachings of Jesus. It was that Mary who anointed the Lord with fragrant oil and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. He was sick. Therefore his sis sister sent to Jesus, saying, Lord, behold, the one whom you love is sick. You feel a little bit of manipulation and control there? They sent word to Jesus and said, the one you love, you know, come on, G, you love this guy. He's sick. What is the underlying message there? Jesus, you need to drop what you're doing. Get over here and, and minister to my brother because he's not doing well. When Jesus heard that, he said, this sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. How did Jesus know that? Because the Father prompted him. Father prompted him. Now, if he, if he had not have been sensitive to the promptings and obeyed the initial promptings of the Father, he would have dropped everything that he had and ran over to where they were. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. I'm telling you what, man, this guy, Jesus was bold. This is a pure demonstration of him responding to what the Father said. Father said, don't go right now. I want you to hold tight and I'll tell you when to go. So he stayed two more days. Then after this, he said to his disciples, let us go up to Judea again. His disciples said to him, Rabbi, lately the Jews sought to stone you and you're going there again. All right, so again, Jesus had to be sensitive to the spirit to take him to where he wanted to go because the natural thing would have been, I'm staying away from those Jews. They've been trying to kill me. I'm not going up there. And the disciples reminded him of that. Put a little bit of pressure on Jesus. Let's don't do that. Verse 11. These things he said, and after he said to them, Our friend Lazarus sleeps, but I will go that I may wake him out of sleep. Verse 16. Then Thomas, who is called Didymus, said to his fellow disciples, Let us also go that we may die with him. They thought they were going to die. They, they, didn't, they weren't tuned into the to the sensitivity like Jesus was of what the Father was speaking. So man, they thought as soon as we go up there where they've been trying to kill Jesus, not only are they going to kill Jesus, they're going to kill us. See, they're moving by sense knowledge. They're moving by data. They're moving by appearances. Jesus wasn't moving by those things. 
Jesus was responding to the initial promptings from the Father. Now, in verse 17, it says that when Jesus came, he found that he didn't get killed, did he? None of them got killed. They went that way. Je Whenever the Father prompts you to do something, he'll protect you, he'll guide you, he'll lead you, and make it happen, just like he said. Now, verse 17, they show up. When Jesus came, he found that he had already been in the tomb four days. Wow. He, the, the guy was stone cold dead. No doubt about it. Now, when somebody is stone cold dead, that's gonna, that, that will try to affect the mind of Christ that is within you. Like, too late. I mean, I thought he would. Jesus knew he was going to die. Je, this was not a surprise to Jesus. The Father revealed it to him. Now watch the mind of Christ as it comes into operation here. I'll pick it up in verse 19 down to 23. And many of the Jews came to Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother. Then Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him. But Mary was, was sitting in the house. Mary's ticked off. Jesus didn't hustle over there like she wanted him to. She, did, she couldn't manipulate and control Jesus to get over there like a flash and get his brother. Now he's dead. What, what's what's going to happen? Mary married had it. Then Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you'd been here, if you'd have been here, if, you, if, you'd, if you'd have heeded the call that we sent to you, I know they told you my brother's sick. If you'd have come, he would not have died. But I know that even now, whatsoever you ask of God, God will give you. Verse 23, here's the mind of, here's the mind of Christ in operation. Jesus said to her, your brother is going to rise again. He's going to rise again. How did Jesus know that? The Father told him. And now he's, he's acting on that initial prompting. All right, let me bring down to verse 37. And some of them said, could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind also have kept this man from dying? So not only do you have Martha and Mary ticked off, you got everybody around observing. Everybody's always got an opinion. Everybody's always got something they want to throw in. So when you obey the initial promptings of the Spirit, sometimes you're going to go against the flow. You're going to go against the tide. And this is exactly what was happening. All right, now watch verse 38. Then Jesus, again groaning in himself, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. How did Jesus know to take away the stone? Father told him, take away the stone. Jesus obeyed the initial promptings of the Father. Do you see the importance? And I'm spending way too much time on this first point. But I think it's so important that you and I develop this ability through sensitivity and obedience that when the Father speaks, we, we immediately respond to him. The life of living from the tree of life is a life of response. Living a life from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is a life of logic. It's a life of natural senses. So if we're going to develop the mind of Christ, you and I are going to have to learn to obey the initial promptings of the Father. Verse 39, Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the Mary of him who, the sister of him who was dead, said to him, Lord, by this time there is a stench, for he's been dead four days. She's still not tuned into this. With her mouth, she's saying, even now I know God's going to do what you ask him to do. But she's still doubting it. She said, it's a little bit late. It's been four days. The guy's smelling bad. They didn't have the embalming methods we have today. Jesus said to her, did not I say to you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? I mean, this is really strong. They took away the stone of the place where the dead man was laying, and Jesus looked up at his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I thank you that you've heard me. 
where did where did he hear Jesus at when they were communing and Jesus was saying, okay, I'll wait two days. I'm going to go down. You're telling me to, to roll the stone away, to call him out of there. I'll do that. I'll do exactly as you told me to do. And I know that you always hear me. Yet because of the people who are standing by, I said this, that they may believe that you sent me. And when he had said these things, he cried with a loud voice and said, Lazarus, come forth. And, went, and he who had died came forth bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said, loose him and let him go. Now, Jesus ministered to these sisters that were brokenhearted, man. He got over, he did exactly what he needed to do, when he needed to do it, how he needed to do it, not at the dictate of the sisters, not at the dictate of the people that stood around and said, if Jesus had been here, the guy would have died. If he opened blind eyes, certainly he could have stopped this guy from dying. Jesus was honed in. I want you so much to get this. Jesus was honed in on what the Father's direction was. What you can see from the story is Jesus, Jesus acted like a son. He just told us in Luke 4.18 what he's going to do. He acted like a son, but just as important, he thought like a son. And when Jesus acted as a son and thought like a son, guess what? There was a manifestation of a man that was raised from the dead. I think we're beginning to understand something. That our actions as a son come out of thinking like a son. That's what I want you to get out of this first point. That's why the initial obeying is so important. All right, number two. Number two, and I got to hurry along this morning. Got so many things I want to teach. I could break this out into a couple sessions, but I'm not going to do it. I'm just going to give you the whole lump and let you chew on it and digest it. All right, number two, developing the mind of Christ. The mind of Christ empowers us to commit to his will Commit to his will, even when we don't fully know what the will is or what's involved in doing the will. Let me say that again. One to ten. One in ten. How quick are you to commit to doing his will? Even when you don't fully know what the will involves or what it's going to take to complete the will. How, how quick are you, to, are, are, you, are you willing to say, I will do the will of the Father, even though I don't fully know what it is. I found this in my life, that generally the Father will give you the first couple of little steps to take if he's asking you to do something. He doesn't tell you the end from the beginning. He knows the end from the beginning. He doesn't disclose it to you, and there's some very solid reasons for that, which I'm going to mention in just a minute. Are you willing to commit yourself to do the will of the Father, even though you don't know what it is? Totally or what's involved in keeping it. It's a, it's, a, it's a progressive journey. I mean, Jesus, in Luke 2.52, Jesus grew in wisdom, stature, and favor with God and man. I doubt when Jesus was 12 years old at the temple that he fully understood what the will of the Father was for him, but he told his mother and father, I must be about my father's business. Whatever that business is, I must be about it. I think it's fair to say that Jesus, the man, was limited to the course of human development, just like you and I are. And maybe when he's 15, 18, 20, 25, he had some doubts about what this whole thing was about, what it, what it was going to encompass. His Christ consciousness expanded. And as his Christ consciousness expanded, and he found himself doing the will of the Father, you know what? 
he began to influence other people. He began to have an influence from the Father to other people. I think in Jesus, probably, this whole, this whole point of committing to do the Father's will, even though you don't fully know what it is or what's involved in keeping it, I think it probably hit its zenith in the garden when Jesus said, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. That's Jesus committing himself to the will of the Father, whatever it was. And maybe at that point, he didn't know everything that was involved, but he knew there were some things coming. He knew he was going to have to die. He knew he was going to have to die. I'm not sure he knew every detail. I'm not sure he knew he would say, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. I'm not, I, I'm not saying he did or he didn't. I'm just saying this was an unfolding progress in the life of Jesus. That's Jesus. Same thing, same thing with Paul. Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9. I want you to see these illustrations from Scripture because when he asks you to do something, if you're thinking from a natural mind, you're going to say, let me think about this. How's this going to work? What's involved? Do I feel like I can do it? Am I equipped to do it? Uh, what if I fail? See, we take all those considerations in before we commit. In Acts chapter 9, it says that Saul was breathing threatenings and murder and murder against the disciples of the Lord. And he asked letters from him to the synagogue of Damascus so that if he found any who were of the way, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. And as he journeyed, came near Damascus and suddenly a light. Man, here it is. Here's what happens. Suddenly a light shone around about him from heaven. doesn't say he was knocked off a donkey. <laughs> we surmise that. doesn't say that at all. It just says that as he came near Damascus, a light came. He fell to the ground, heard a loud voice saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. It's hard for you to kick against the pricks. Jesus and, and, and Saul, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? That's the million-dollar question. Now, he's going to have to make a decision here because the Lord's not going to lay it out for him. He's got to make a choice what he's going to do. So here's what Jesus said. Arise and go into the city, and you'll be told what you must do. Now, Saul, are you willing to get up off the ground I've just given you a flash. I've given you a revelation. I've told you what my plan is. Are you willing to go into Jerusalem? You're going to be blind for three days. Then you're going to see. And while you're there, I'm going to tell you what I want you to do. Are you willing to do that? Are you willing to submit to my will when you don't know what the will is or what it, what it encompasses? I bet if Jesus would have said, Saul, if you say yes and you go into Jerusalem, I want you to know something. You're going to get stoned. You're going to get whipped three times. You're going to spend a day and a night in the deep. You're going to go undergo persecution. You're going to undergo things that you can't even imagine. Everything that you doled out on Christians is coming back to you sevenfold. You're going to have a tough time. Now, do you want to go to Jerusalem? He didn't tell him any of that. Didn't tell him any of those things. He had to commit himself to the will of the Father, even though he didn't know entirely what that will was or what it fully encompassed. How about Abraham? Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. Now the Lord had said to Abraham, Get out from your country, from your family, from your father's house to a land that I'll show you. I'll make you a great nation. I'll bless you. Make your name great. You shall be a blessing. I'll bless those that bless you, curse those that curse you, and you and all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now, Abraham's got a choice. God said, get out of the country. 
This is what I'm going to do. How are you going to do it, Father? How You talk about my descendants being blessed. I don't have any children. I'm 75 years old. I have no children. Now, see, if you're thinking from a natural mind, you're going to start weighing those things out. How's this, how's this going to take place? How's this going to come about? You don't have any opportunity. Either you respond, either you do the will when you don't know all of it, or you don't. I'm talking about developing the mind of Christ. So 1 to 10, how quick are you? to commit to doing the will of God, even though you don't know fully what it is or what's involved in its fulfillment. Now, Abraham made the decision, verse four, Abraham departed as the Lord had spoken to him and Lot went with him and Abraham was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. One little thing that he did not obey in this will, he took Lot with him. He wasn't supposed to take anybody. And that's the very thing that came back to bite his hind end as you read the story in the next few chapters. He had a big big problem with Lot because he took him with him. He wasn't supposed to. So that part of the will, he, didn't, he did not follow through with. But both of those men, well, the point I'm trying to make is both those men had no idea of what they would face, what was involved, uh, the personal cost that it would cost them. The father, the father's kind of like Paul Harvey, he said, I'm not telling you the rest of the story yet. I gotta let the whole story un unwind. Then I'll tell you the rest of the story. The mind of Christ, listen, listen to me, I wanna say something right here. The mind of Christ will move you into rest as you respond in obedience. Both Paul and Abraham entered into a rest. They let God do the working out. They let him, the one that started it, complete the will. Now what that does, when you respond, here's what I really like. When you respond to his will and you don't know entirely what it is or what's involved, it takes the heat off you to accomplish it. I think that's what we think sometimes. That's why we weigh, weigh it out. It's because we think, this is, I need to figure out this thing, if I can do it or not. Is it logical or not? Do I have enough resources to be able to fulfill? Is the, the heat comes off of you when he says, I want you to respond. Here's what I want you to do. It then becomes his job to fulfill it and accomplish it. It keeps us from trying to figure it out. It releases the pressure. Now remember, I'm teaching you this morning, if you want to act like a manifested son, and we spent a lot of time talking about manifesting as a son. I'm trying to drive home this morning and I didn't get it done that two-part series. If you want to act like a manifested son, Luke chapter 4, verse 18, 19, then you have to learn to think like a son. Number three. Number three. The mind of Christ empowers you to be available to serve him no matter what the job or the assignment is. All right. So one to ten. One to ten. How willing are you to serve the Father and his plan no matter what the job is, or what the assignment is. How willing are you to do it? You say, well, I, I have a call, I have an anointing to be a prophet. Well, what if he calls you and gives you a job of setting the chairs up at the home meeting? What if he gives you a job or, 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 or a request that you think is below your anointing or below your call or below your stature? Are you willing to do it? Are you willing to do it? Jesus revealed how the mind of Christ thinks in, in uh, Philippians chapter 2, verse 7 and 8, when it says that he made himself of no reputation. That's huge. That is a huge part in being able to fulfill the assignment or the job, no matter what it is, is making yourself of no reputation. 
right? So that's one of the beautiful things here at the Digital Cathedral. None of us are, are big shots. None of us are headlines, platform stars somewhere that draws in thousands and thousands of people. We're just regular folks here that are on a journey together. So it's not as hard as a superstar to make ourselves a no reputation. And it goes on to say the mind of Christ thinks made and made that no reputation helped him to take on the form of a servant, no reputation, served completely, even to death, the death of the cross. So Jesus could have looked at his life and said, man, I'm the son of God. I'm the first begotten. I'm the only begotten son of God. You're asking me to, to take on this form of a servant. You're asking me to serve. Are, 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 you, are you serious? Here's what it allows you to do. Here's what this allows you to do. When you're willing to serve, no matter what the job is, no matter what the assignment is, it lets you bring, and this is so important, man, the mind of Christ lets you gather all your personal rights, everything that you think belongs to me, naturally, all your expectations, all those, all those offense triggers that when people put you down or people don't acclaim you, all, the, all, all of the, the need for recognition, all of the titles, all of the, the need for approval, all the wanting people to pat you on the back and say, attaboy, man, you really did a great job. You can bring all of that and surrender it because you have no reputation now. And when you are able to surrender all of those self-rights that you think you ought to have just because your education, your experience, the people you're connected to, when you can lay them all down, when you can surrender them to the Father, you can understand now how to serve. Serving is how grace rolls. You understand? Serving is how grace demonstrates. Even when we serve way under our gifting, under our anointing, even when we go totally unnoticed, it doesn't bother us. One to ten, how willing are you to serve regardless of what the job is or what the assignment is. The mind of Christ teaches us that the key word for sonship, the mind of Christ will teach us that the key word for sonship is not ability, it's availability. All the Father asks is that we be available. Here's what you provide. You provide the earth suit. He provides the anointing, the ability, the power, the unction, the motivation. In fact, there's a verse of scripture that has really ministered to me over the years since I really got a hold of this message. It's Philippians chapter 2 and verse 13. It says, It is God who works in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. I love that verse because it says that God puts the will in me. So when I want to do something, you know what it is? When I see a place that needs service, you know who put that desire to fulfill that task? He did. He put it in there. Not only does he put the will in there, he gives me the ability to do it. It is God, Philippians 2.13, powerful scripture. It is God that works in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. All right, number four. Got to get cracking here. Number four. The mind of Christ empowers you to please the Father in priority over pleasing other people. On a one to 10 scale, one being I can't do this, I gotta please people, I'm a people pleaser, and, not, and 10 being I always do this. How willing are you to please the Father in priority over pleasing other people, right? Let me, let me hit a scripture real quick here. John chapter five and verse 18. 
John chapter 5 and verse 18. This is big, man, because we all feel peer pressure. We all feel pressure from other people to do what they would like us to do. It says in John chapter 5 and verse 18. Therefore, the Jews sought the more to kill Jesus because he not only broke the Sabbath, but he also said that God was his father, making him equal with God. Do you say that God is your father? I'll leave that one alone for just a little bit. Then Jesus answered and said, Moshe, surely I say to you, the son can do nothing of himself, but what he sees the father do, and whatever he does, the son does in like manner. What Jesus is saying to these guys, look, I don't care what you're saying to me. I'm not yielding to your pressure about this. I'm not going to back up and say I'm not a son of God just to make you happy. I'm not going to diminish my divinity as my identity just to appease you. Because I've heard what the Father said and I've seen what the Father does. And as a son of God, I correspond to that. I, I relate to that. See, it's hard. It's hard when, the, when your friends down at the church, maybe even the church you left, it, when they apply pressure to you. You need to back up on those beliefs. Man, you've gone too far. That grace thing that you're grabbing onto, that finished work believing, the thing that you think that you're a son of God that's manifesting, who do you think you are? See, who do you think you are? There were some Jewish boys that, that got hauled into the, the pastor's office, if I can put it that way, for what they were teaching. Look at this in Acts chapter 5. Acts chapter 5. This is good stuff, man. This is, this is getting down right where we lived this morning. This is, how, this is how the mind of Christ functions. This is, these are some things that you're going to have to say, yeah, okay, I'm working. This is his working in me. When you wonder what he's working in you, I'm, I'm telling you this morning the things that he's working in your life to respond, to not worry about position, to not be affected by peer pressure. I'm getting down exactly where we live. All right, watch, watch these boys that got hauled in here. Uh, Acts chapter 5, verse 27. And when they brought them, it, 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 we're talking about a couple of the apostles here. When they brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest asks them, Did we strictly not command you that you should teach in this name of Jesus? Didn't we, tell, didn't we warn you not to do that? And indeed, you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine and intend to bring this man's blood on us. Then Peter and the other apostles answered, this is the million dollar response. We ought to obey God rather than man. They were, they were putting heat on these boys. I'm telling you, they got reprimanded. They, <laughs> they lost their ordination papers. They lost their tax exempt status. They were applying to them as much pressure as they possibly could. But in the end, they couldn't stop them. In the end, they couldn't stop them. Now, it cost them, but what they had, religion could not stop. And it says in, in verse 42 of that same chapter, uh, chapter 5, verse 42, it says, And daily in the temple and in every house they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. Oh, that the Father would help us that we would not cease teaching Jesus as the Christ. That that would be our message, man. That we would not come off of it. That we'd remain Christocentric. I know there's pressures from a lot of things. People are bringing stuff to you from all different sources and stuff and trying to get you to, to, to adjust and change. Listen, let's keep Christ in the center of this. 
Let's not yield to, to the pressure of other people. The tough one is your family. When your family puts pressure on you. In the 12th chapter of Matthew, and I don't have time to read it all, but basically what happens is Jesus is teaching. And his mother and his brother show up outside and they call one of the ushers over and they say, hey, why don't you go and tell Jesus that, that, the, that mothers and brothers are here. We want him to come out now. You know what Jesus did? He just kept right on teaching. He kept right on teaching. Now he gave his family time. He did meet with the family, but he didn't drop. He didn't succumb to the peer pressure. The priority that he had on the message from the father that he was delivering kept the priority in dropping it and saying, we got, let's dismiss for a while. That's all we're gonna do in this session. Come back this afternoon. I'll finish it up for you. So that he could hurry outside to obey his mom. This is mama. Jewish mama telling Jesus, come out here. This we're, Come out now. We need, we need to talk to you. See, the family's well-meaning. Our family's often well-meaning, but they can be very controlling. They can be very manipulative. We should always hold our family in our heart close to us, and it hurts. But sometimes, for a season, you may have to go it alone without your family even. If you keep loving them, they'll come around. I, I, my family, I'll tell you, it, I don't think any of them really embrace the things I teach. I think all of them are pretty much on board right now with everything we're doing. And it's because you just keep loving them. You keep demonstrating it. You don't force it. But you keep it as a priority. You set your priority. So not, on 1 to 10, is your priority to please the Father over pleasing other people? 1 to 10, I want you to rate Right where you're at in your walk this morning. And again, I'm bringing these out and I'm, have, I'm not trying to put pressure on you. I just want you to see where the Father is developing you in this mind of Christ arena. Right? Now this last one can be really tough because it takes in a lot of areas, in, including you're walking through Luke chapter 4, verse 18, 19. Right? Number five, number five, the mind of Christ empowers you to rest. Mind of Christ empowers you to rest and watch him turn your difficulties and the apparent failures that you face in life. The, the darkest hours that you come through, he takes all of that and puts them into your greatest achievements. How willing, one to 10, how willing are you to rest? Take your hands off. Jesus, take the wheel. Take your hands off and watch him in his time in his way, the way that he desires, take all of your failures, your apparent failures. Maybe you failed, you've obeyed him, you've responded, but it looks like a failure. Your darkest hours, the times it seems like it's been the worst. And take those and turn those into your greatest achievement. For Moses, it was 40 years on the backside of the desert that he had to just wait. I think there are probably a lot of times Moses thought, I'm just going to die out here as an old man. Abraham. 25 years clinging to a promise. Failed. He failed several times. No question about it. Hagar was a failure. I mean, you have to look at it that way. He, he got off the promise. David. David had messes all over his life. And the father took those and he brought them in. Joseph spent years in prison in the Old Testament for nothing. Paul was a terrorist. He was a jihadist against the church. Jonah down in the belly of the fish. That's the darkest time of Jonah's life. You know what the father did? Moses, Abraham, David, Joseph, Paul, Jonah. And for you, he will take those darkest times, those biggest failures, and he will turn them around into your greatest achievement. 
In fact, that's where your teaching, that's where your message will come from. Your message does not come from your successes. Your messages come from the dark hours when you're in the cave by yourself. I tell you, I know what I'm talking about. It comes when you're by yourself and you're alone and you think everybody has abandoned. When Jesus said in John 6, when he taught about communion and everybody left, he took the 12. Are you guys going too? And they said, who else has the words of life? We ain't going anywhere. We're sticking here. Grace brings the mind of Christ into everyday living. The mind of Christ is how grace is expressed. In all of these five that I've talked about this morning, it's a working of grace. Now, religion won't tell you this, but I will. Religion won't tell you this, but I will. Grace is going to write the last chapter of your life. No matter how dark it is, seemingly messed up, taking steps backward, in reverse, it doesn't matter. Grace through the mind of Christ, listen to me, grace through the mind of Christ is going to have the last eternal word for every single one of us. So now here's what I hope you've got this morning. And I gotta start, I gotta start, I gotta start parking this bus. Here's where we are. What do we have? You should have a well-defined, rubber meets the road, boots on the ground, practical passage of how a sun manifests from Luke 4, 18 and 19. How does the sun manifest? It preaches the gospel to the poor, heals the brokenhearted proclaims liberty to the captives. When he finds the blind, they recover sight. He sets at liberty the oppressed, and he proclaims full reconciliation as the unending years of the Lord. That's, that's what that last one is. He, he preaches jubilee. He preaches the reconciliation of all. What, what manifested sunlight Jesus does? That's what he does. Right? The signs follow them as they follow Jesus. Jesus just was busy doing those six, seven things on Luke 4, 18, 19. He said, this day's a scripture fulfilled. So you should have a very concrete pattern, path of what you're going to be involved with. Now, this doesn't mean you get a platform somewhere or have to rent a building and try to get people in. This means the flow of your life. That means how, the, how things naturally involved in your life is going to bring you to do these things because of the life, the anointing that is within you. You just be you. But this is what's going to take place. Now, if you're going to act like a son, those six, seven things, they're going to have to think like a son. Now, here's where the development comes in, what we talked about this morning. Respond to the Father's initial promptings. He's going to bring you over to a 10 in all of these five. Commit yourself to his will, even though you don't know what the will is or what's involved with it. You're available for every job, every assignment that the Father brings to you, regardless if it's an exalted position or you're over here working, digging ditches. Doesn't really matter. You're going to please him over pleasing other people. And number five, you're going to rest and watch him make the message, your life message, out of your biggest messes out of what would seem to be the biggest failures, the biggest time in the cave that you've been by yourself. If you want to act like a manifested son of God, and I'm done, I'm closed. If you want to act like a manifested son of God, you want to fulfill you know, all the, 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 the zip and the zap, all the good stuff, all the healing, all the preaching, all the, all the stuff we read, then you're going to have to learn to think like a son of God because all of your actions are going to come out of what you think. Amen? All right, I think that's a good place to stop right there. 
I feel better now that I added this little part to You Ain't Double Minded. I feel like this kind of put the cherry on the top. And I wanted to make sure that you had a path to follow, Luke 4, 18, 19. And I wanted to make sure that I gave you a chance to measure how well you're manifesting the mind of Christ. So I hope you got something from this this morning. Share this teaching. Share it on your page. I'm not going to share it on your page. I'm not going to share it on your group. I think that's presumptuous on my part. I know a lot of teachers share it on, they join groups just to share their message. I don't do that. I hope you like this. You leave a comment. You hit the subscribe button. And if the Spirit of God moves on you, I would sure like you to help support us in getting this message out, this life-giving message around the world. There's a link over on the Don Keithley ministry page. There's a link on my personal Facebook page if you'd like to contribute. God bless you. Thank you for your help. All right, see you next time at the Digital Cathedral Wednesday night. Don't forget the secret place, 7 a.m. Central on the Don Keithley ministry page. Until then, have a wonderful week and we'll see you next time.